0: Welcome to Tab Storytellers Tabcast. I'm Abby Pato Bay. This is a podcast about teaching for artistic behavior, which is a teaching pedagogy for art educators um, where we believe that the uh, child is the artist, the classroom is the studio and we explore what do artists do. Um, and so this is the belief structure that underlies how we work in our classroom, moving kids towards more choice and less teacher directed. And I'm co-hosting with, Hello,
1: everyone. My name is Jen Ferrari. Thank you so much for joining us for TAB Storytellers. Uh, This podcast was established to promote dialogue among art teachers who seek best practices in contemporary art education and to advocate for TAB pedagogy and practice. Um, So this podcast, which we lovingly refer to as a TABcast, is published once a month and it's a place to share our TAB stories with one another. Uh, these stories can come from TAB educators, administrators, community members, researchers, and many, many more sources. Um, from how we found TAB to implementation in the classroom, to advocacy for your program, to dispelling myths about TAB practice, we, we cover it all here. Um, so for more information after this tabcast, um, please navigate to teachingforartisticbehavior.org There you'll find information, inspiration, and incredibly helpful items, such as teacher-created resources and access to an online community of TAB educators called Mighty Networks. And then I'm gonna hand it back over to Abby, who will be introducing our guest today. I'm very excited to have a conversation with.
0: Again, um, (laughs) uh, we are so happy to have Kelly Beach with us, and uh, we are even more excited to record it this time around. we may have forgotten last week, so we get to have this conversation twice, which we're super excited about because Kelly is so awesome that he is um, generously willing to have this conversation twice with us. Uh, Kelly Beach is an art educator, TAB educator in Colorado, um, and his a personal friend of mine, but also is an amazing human who has worked with different grade levels and uh, is also part of the leadership for TAB Colorado, one of the TAB group leading conferences in the nation, I think, at the moment. So welcome, Kelly. Welcome for coming, and uh, tell us your TAB story.
2: Well, thank you both for having me again. I was going to say deja vu here. feels (laughs) like we've we've gone through this once or twice before, uh, but I'm glad to be back here. So my TAB story started around 2006 when I started teaching. I was teaching at a K-8 core knowledge school. If you're not familiar with core knowledge, it's a very structured system that works for all grades. If they're learning something in social studies, it should be hit in art, it should be hit in music. It's fairly restrictive um, when it comes to your curriculum that you need to teach. And sadly, it's kind of very Eurocentric. There is a little touch on other aspects of the world. But a lot of the art focuses on uh, kind of that European culture and canon. So it wasn't quite sitting super well with me. I needed to shake things up and I had contacted my admin to see if I could go to the Colorado Fall Conference held up in Breckenridge. They agreed and I believe it was my PTO that actually ended up helping pay for some of that so I could go up there. And that was right around, uh, 2008 ish, I believe. And so at that conference, George Zichelli was our keynote speaker. Uh, he talked a lot about play in class. Uh, one of his workshops was we built forts. We tore up the conference center, um, tables stacked on top of things, blankets strung everywhere. We made art in our forts and it really started to show me that art didn't need to be the serious process that I had been exposed to the previous years. And then I had also ran into Dale Zomstra and Nan Hathaway who were running some tab focused workshops as well. After one of their roundtable sessions, they had invited me to go have pizza and beers with them Uh, I'm very food motivated. So of course, I wasn't going to turn that down. And I went and joined them. And they really just kind of hooked me at that point. Like it was super life changing. Uh, I didn't know a lot about tab. I wasn't aware of the three sentence curriculum. I just knew that, hey, there's art educators out there who are doing some really cool stuff. They're giving student choice, they're empowering their voice, and that felt like something that needed to happen in my room. So
0: I love Dale. She's
2: (laughs) Yeah, Dale. I was
0: just thinking, I was like, we should probably have her on the podcast. I know she's retired, but that's, she's the beginning for a lot of people's TAB journey. She really is, like, she was one of the foundational people that got a lot of people into TAB in the Colorado area and Wyoming.
2: Yep, she absolutely changed my life, the lives of my students. So I went to that conference. I had a vague understanding of what things should look like. And I came back Monday and we just totally abandoned all our projects. I'm very much the ask for forgiveness rather than permission style person. Here I am throwing everything that we were doing out the window. Uh, We just jumped in. I started opening drawing sculpture, fibers, and blocks as the first things that happened on Monday. Um, It was kind of a mess. Things were all over the place. Students weren't quite sure what was going on at first, but they left the day happy. I saw uh, a smile and an energy on their face that wasn't there prior. Uh, Some of my students who weren't engaged the week before were now excited that What you mean, I can build with blocks for 45 minutes? Yeah, you can do that. Let's take some photos. Let's look at architecture. Let's talk about engineering. There's a whole bunch of new learning and new engagement from some students that wasn't there in the past. So we refined things. We honed things in. We reined in some of the processes. And I've been doing TAB ever since.
1: So I love that you you told that part of the story about how you just went in and you just started trying things because you were so motivated. And I love that you were okay with making mistakes and potentially failing because I think that's a big part of what TAB is um, for people. And I love also that you shared that the outcomes for your students that day were so positive because I really feel that in an environment where children feel like they belong and they're listened to, they can have that open mindset for other opportunity. So even if there were something that were like part of whatever the standards or curriculum might need to be shared, they would be open to it because it's a safe environment where they have been heard prior. So what's going to stop them now from taking that and then putting their own spin on it? You know, even when you were talking earlier about how you were more of in that strict environment, in that other type of educational structure. um, I I just, I I think that that's just fascinating. It's really great to hear. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I live a lot of my life of, I would rather you try something new and fail completely Mm. um, than just playing it safe. And I feel like up to that point, I was just kind of playing it safe. And so here I had the opportunity to try something new, uh, try something out of the box. And yeah, there were some messes that we had to fix and tweak to make things work. And, you know, it's constantly a work in progress. Um, But putting myself out there and allowing my students to see failure helped them realize that, okay, it's okay if I'm making a mistake as long as I'm trying as well. So that's a philosophy that's kind of stuck from that day forward too. Yeah, I think so, it's
1: important, um, so I was going to say, okay. I think it's important for kids to see us make mistakes too, because as they get older, they're going to continue to make mistakes, but it's okay. You learn from them, right? So it's totally, it's totally fine.
0: It's normal. It's natural. Absolutely. Yeah. So you started in one and you moved to another school. So what age level are you mainly working with now?
2: So I started as K-8 and then I had moved to another charter school for six years where I was mostly just middle school and then we had a new school in the district open up five years ago. uh, It's a middle school and their philosophy was they wanted student directed classrooms across the board, not just in the arts, Um, thinking about what skills are going to be beneficial for students 20 years out. They call it the thinking classroom. And we use a workshop model in all of our classes. So there's some sort of mini lesson, then there's work time and then a debrief. And that just really fit my choice and tab philosophy really well. So I went ahead and applied for that spot. They were excited about what I was to bring. So they hired me on. I was able to build up our program where they needed more art. So we hired on an additional art teacher. My non-negotiable when we were looking for someone was they needed to be tabbed. They needed to fit that structure. And thankfully we found Erin Knapp who's an amazing educator as well. And she is kind of the yin to my yang. We make a, a whole human where her structure um, is stronger than mine we really balance each other when it comes to offering a cohesive curriculum and art experience for all of our students.
0: So are you saying that two tab teachers can tab differently
2: in Absolutely. the same same school?
0: <laughs> like the, your classrooms might not be set up identically. I think that I think sometimes we we give ourselves all this freedom with students to have things turn out differently and I've been we want ourselves to fit a certain model of what TAB should be if we're going to be a TAB teacher. And I think that, I think sometimes that that's a good reminder that there are different ways to approach how TAB works in your world.
2: Yeah, I'm willing to bet if you look at all three of our classrooms, things are ran very differently. And it's hard for new teachers, I think, who especially are coming from a more traditional DBAE style classroom, they want uh, a cookie cutter mold like this is how a center is supposed to look. This is what this is supposed to be like. And with TAB really, it's a responsive classroom to your culture, your needs for your students, your needs for your admin, your needs for your community. And that's gonna differ from school to school, even room to room the students I have fourth hour are going to be different than the students Erin has fourth hour and there's going to be different needs for each of those and maybe we need to deviate from our original plan so just that flexibility is super important.
1: I also love though that you have someone there that you can bounce ideas off of so you have that community aspect because I know you're you're at the middle level right? Right. Yeah so I am at the elementary level and at our level, we tend to be on an island, right? So we're usually the only teacher in the school that is the art specialist. And um, it's hard to bounce ideas off of other people because you have to go looking for them. So it's, it's really great that you do have that community. I'm lucky in my district where we are kind of close-knit and I can talk with the other teachers in my department, um, but it's not quite the same as having someone that you can go to during the day and be like, wow, This just happened. We need to talk about it, like right now. You know, it's it's a different um, environment. So that's great that you have that to be able to collaborate with someone like that.
2: Yeah, I'm thankful uh, that I do. You know, it's been four years in the making of having a partner. Prior to that, I was at the charter school. Uh, The charter schools were kind of isolated from the rest of the district. So I didn't even really have other art teachers within my district that I could bounce ideas off of. It was just kind of me. And I just had to kind of figure things out. So the Colorado Fall Conference really helped me start to develop connections with other art educators. And then having Dale really pull me into the TAB Colorado life really opened up a bunch of other doors for me as well making some super strong connections and friendships uh, with art educators all across the state and country now. So, you know, I would don't know if I would have met Abby necessarily without it. I can't remember where we actually met, if it was CAEA or TAB or one yeah, of the- Yeah, between
0: the two of those, I th- think most of my art friendships built. Actually, I had more friends in Colorado for many years than I knew art teachers in Wyoming because I was able to access that professional development versus the ones offered in Wyoming. So, which actually didn't get offered until I started doing a lot of conferences other than the secondary te- the secondary teachers in Wyoming, they get together, but the, there was nothing for elementary for a long time. So yeah, I have lots of places that direction. Um, so one of the things that I am always like just amazed about, because for people who don't know Kelly, um, but he tends to post some really amazing things um, on his social media that happened and come out of his classroom. And so he has a lot of really great things happening, but also his willingness to engage in digital arts inside of his tab classroom is somewhere that, like I didn't have the resources to do when I taught elementary. And when I got to middle school, we actually, my one of my teaching partners, but there's three of us now, um, one of my teaching partners, that's his role is to teach the graphic design computer-based classes. And so it's still not an area that I do much in that realm. And so. It's never been my forte, but I'm always amazed at what Kelly's able to produce. Do you want to talk about some of your digital integration things into your, how did you get that going in your classroom?
2: So I fell in love with like digital and media art in high school. I was super into videography, making movies. We always had cameras beside us. Um, We bombard the video editing bays for the news program and kind of monopolize that as much as we could. We were always just making videos. I wasn't really into drawing or painting. I I needed to be more sculptural or video or graphic design style just kind of growing up. And so when I got to teaching, I knew that I wanted to share that passion with some of my students. Uh, There are a lot of students who view art as only drawing realistically and they don't necessarily see the graphic design right away or the computer tech stuff. So it started out small. We only had one iPad at my first school. We would use that to upload stuff to Seesaw. We would do some animation, um, some stop animation, photography type stuff with that. Uh, Eventually, I was able to kind of grow those programs a little more, especially when I moved to my second charter school. I was able to um, show them through Our district art show that we had a strong photography interest. Um, We would often sweep the photography categories in the art competition, um, mostly just because we were the only middle school out there doing photography. Um, But then it started to kind of snowball from there. And when it comes to anything tab-wise, that's probably one of the coolest things is I don't necessarily have to know everything to start things out, I just need to have a starting point to get kids going, Uh, especially with technology. Their culture is so immersed in it right now that they can usually figure things out faster than I can. And so if I just have a starting point, like, hey, check out this website, use this to see what you can do with, run with it. And then I can have some backup tutorials or I've worked with it enough that I can get them going But usually once I just kind of introduce something to them, they can really run with that and go from there.
0: I think that lends itself to the idea that like, I know when I had elementary, like there was the one kid who figured out paper airplanes first. And so like that became the paper airplane expert. And so when it sounds like that when you give kids an access point and they're able to run with it faster than you are, that you're creating social capital for them among their peers, and they can actually, it really can impact their, um, just how much they feel confident in, in their peer groups. And so I think sometimes our crossover to social emotional is really strong in that way too.
2: Right, for mm-hmm. anything that I'm learning, like I didn't know how to crochet or knit, but I knew how to kind of get going. Mm-hmm. And so students could run with that. Uh, same with sewing, I know how to do basic stitches and stuff. But usually there's that one kid who that is what they're truly passionate about, and they want to share that passion with everybody. And so I lean on them to be the leaders within the role. I'm falling to that guide on the side instead of the uh, sage on the stage and really trying to empower my students to be leaders within the classroom, no matter what media it is.
1: I I love that sentiment because I, that's how I think of myself, even in the elementary level, I often will ask students, you know, does anyone have like an interest or a technique or something they'd like to share? And sometimes we will take that and that will be the teacher demo for the day, but it's not me. It's the teacher in the room, which is one of the students. Uh, And I like switching it up like that because as Abby was saying, it really empowers the kids to take on more of like a leadership rather than like a follower, they're now a leader in the room. Um, but going back to the digital part of it, I, also, I, I just recently received through a grant through our parent organization and our cultural council, some iPads, um, which I am not super familiar with, but I know my kids will help me out. Um, do you have any suggestions for those of us like myself who would like to integrate more technology, but are kind of unsure of where they might start in that process?
2: So photo editing tends to be kind of a a nice gateway into some of the digital work. Uh, Students are pretty comfortable taking photos. There's a lot of easy access apps out there that may help enhance those photos a little bit, kind of tweak them. Uh, Students are used to a lot of like filters, whether it's through snapchat or instagram or any of the other social media type stuff so if you can find something fairly simple to start them out on and then you can start introducing like procreate uh, some of the more complex photoshop type things you know kind of scaffolding it up to a more commercial ready commercial friendly uh, program That would be kind of where I would start. We have, we don't have iPads in our school. So I haven't really kept up with a lot of apps on there. We're a one-to-one Chromebook spot. So I use a lot of Pixlr. There's Pixlr X, E. They introduced a new one I haven't played with. A lot of my students like Piscol, which is a pixel animation app that they can run with. So just looking for any sort of free thing that's not requiring login and personal information is great. Trying to find stuff that's less ad heavy because some of those ads are completely inappropriate for anybody and just (laughs) trying to monopolize on taking money. Um, But that's a different story altogether. Just... (laughs) just doing a lot of research playing with the product first on my end and seeing what it's capable of and not and then introducing it it is probably helpful Mm. um you can't you could try and just jump straight in like oh i heard about this let's try it but really until you dig into it um, you're not going to know if it's right for your community
1: so i have a thought and it's actually a small story to share with you just to get your input Uh, When I first started doing, it was mostly during the pandemic, when my kids had access to free online websites where they could create things. Um, I forget the actual name of the program, but my, I think I had shared it on one of my interactive art studios that they could access. And when they went on there, they were mostly fascinated with the stamps. Like you could select stamps to use and create, you know, whatever you wanted to. And at first I was concerned that they were relying too heavily on someone else's um, content because they weren't really changing it in a way. But then when I shared my concern on online with our um, forum that we have, someone had said, well, that's kind of like them being in the scribble stage of digital media. And that just like blew my mind. I was like, oh my goodness. So Lohenfeld's um, stages of artistic development, kids start in the scribble stage and they mostly have access to like pencils and crayons and things when they're very young, but they don't have access to these things until they're a little older if it's digital. So when they compared it that way, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, maybe this is what they need before they can start going into those other realms where it gets more advanced and they start to put their own spin on it. I was wondering what you might think of that sort of thing because I would love your, your feedback
2: yeah I think that's gonna go with any any media, not just digital uh, if the student hasn't been exposed to it, they're gonna go through that scribble stage. I had posted something to one of my social media groups uh, a month ago or so and somebody had commented that don't you teach middle school? this looks very lower elementary. And you know at first that kind of stung a little bit. yeah, I do teach middle school, but it goes back to that low and filled. What level they are at, right? Our unfortunately, elementary schools aren't valued as much in our district. We have one certified art teacher. The rest are paras that are doing the best they can to make art ed work with no formal training. Uh, they're just giving kids so that the core teachers can have some plan time, and they're they're not really supported that way. So when I have a kid come and they've never used watercolor or anything before, they are gonna be in that scribble stage. And I think that's important to remember anytime you're introducing a new media is that you might not get that really polished, refined look. They may look for the short, easy uh, solution to the problems that they're trying to solve. They may be using a lot of clip art or images that they've found online. And I think just giving them the time, the space and the feedback on helping them grow it's gonna get them there. But the beginning of any new media, digital or traditional is going to absolutely start in that scribble stage.
1: And I think that's a really important thing for our listeners to understand is that it's really a mind, like you have to shift the way you're thinking of things as the teacher. When you're seeing these things, how can you look at them as like, what's the next step? Like not to worry about what it is right now, but what is the next step to get them where you want to go, right? So I just want—I think that that's a really important um, thing to discern from that. Thank you.
0: I think the other thing is is that sometimes we, I mean, so there's the school art aesthetic that um, Eisner talks about, but that that idea that like sometimes if it's super teacher directed, we can have class sets of really amazing looking projects, but the transfer skills out of that really are minimal so you Mm. can have a kid in one project that was pretty teacher directed do some great shading and you know because it was kind of really hands-on from the teacher and then you give them some freedom to do some art and they don't take those shading skills with them well some kids will instinctively because they got it but the majority of kids aren't going to transfer those skills out so um so that's one of the reasons like when the thing i appreciate about tab um, is that when a skill is important to a student they're going to engage in it enough that they're going to own it and so then they'll transfer that into other artworks because they're like oh I got that so if I mean I could teach every kid in my you know art one class of the color wheel or drawing eyeballs and like one kid's interested in the color wheel and one kid's interested in drawing eyeballs and I have 22 kids who are just like what that's not anything I want to know and they don't retain it because it's nothing that's valuable to them and so I think that that intrinsic value of what TAB is and student-centered and student-driven work is, is really important into it becoming something else. And so we don't see, very rarely do we see the school art aesthetic in the real art world. Hmm. And So when we have, you know, like, do we wanna create artists that feel like the only time they can make art is when they go to an adult paint and drink class Where they're still making essentially school aesthetic art, but just guided with alcohol and a teacher and you know and they're in their mid 40s. Or do you want them to say hey I have a voice and choice and I can make something that represents my thoughts and be interesting to me and it doesn't have to be interesting to everyone else. So
2: just my ramble. (laughs) (laughs) That student voice that transferable skills is super important and you see that in the tab room. One of my stories that has just kind of stuck with me at my previous school, I had a student who told his fifth grade teacher every single day, he can't wait until he's old enough to drop out. That was what he told him. That is everything he just, that was what he was living for was just to get old enough that he could drop out of school. School was not his thing. He came into the art room. He wasn't super excited to be in art. He got placed in there, but he saw that we had some pottery wheels. It's like, what are those? So I wasn't ready to introduce pottery yet, but here's a kid who has no interest in school. All he wants to do is drop out. I better take that moment to show him how to use a pottery wheel. So I showed him how to center, showed him how to pull up a cylinder. I'm not the best on a wheel, but again, I knew enough to get him started. And every single day he would come in, he would throw on that wheel he started becoming interested whenever there was another student who wanted to throw. I was like, that kid's better than me. You better ask him. He'll give you pointers and show. And so he now had this purpose where he was coming to school. He was getting better at his craft. He was teaching others to get better at their craft. His conversation now shifted from I can't wait till, to be old enough to drop out to I can't wait to go to art school after high school. So here we are now as a middle schooler who's excited for post grad stuff that he was not even in his wheelhouse a few months prior to.
1: I think yeah. that that's one of the most important things we can do as edu- as TAB educators is to be responsive to our kids and their needs because that that's what keeps them engaged and motivated. Um, I wanted to mention, based on what Abby was saying, um, there's a TED talk by Cindy Myers Foley and it's called teaching art or teaching to think like an artist. And if you're interested in the whole idea of um, what is it that we want our kids to get from their art education, I would watch that TED talk. Um, so you can just, it's on YouTube for those of you who are listening and would like to view that.
2: Yeah, Cindy's amazing. Um, she was able to be a keynote speaker, uh, at tab Colorado and I would absolutely recommend listening to what she says. She's an amazing individual.
0: Speaking of TAB Colorado, um, Kelly, tell us what TAB Colorado is and what is your role in it?
2: So TAB Colorado started out as just a small professional development, again, from Dale. And then um, as well as Cynthia Barnes, who unfortunately is no longer in the mainstream art ed world she's kind of shifted her her she's got an
0: amazing art practice now though it's just stunning to see her work
2: right um and she's doing amazing things and i'm so thankful that she was part of tab colorado from the beginning and kind of helped me bring or bring me aboard like i said i'm food motivated and uh i was looking to develop my tab philosophy a little further uh dale was putting together these professional developments I offered to come or I wanted to see what I needed to do to come and join her she was looking for somebody who was willing to bring snacks and coffee which has turned into a long-running joke within the tab Colorado leadership team uh, that whoever gets stuck with that is kind of in a tough spot because nobody's ever happy with it Um, but anyway the we are now on, what is this year? 13, 12,
0: 13? 12,
2: 13, yeah, um, of professional development. We strive to just provide a really close tight-knit group of educators, the opportunity to learn from one another we bring in amazing keynote speakers. I'm super excited about this year's. We can talk more about that in a little bit. Um, we're, we've we been hosted out of Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design for a few years. We've now shifted over to the Denver Art Museum, which is fantastic. But we provide um, workshops and connections that I don't see necessarily in other professional development opportunities. We are a very tight-knit group. Um, We welcome everybody to join us. And we've just had a lot of praise about the community that we build through there.
0: In a full disclosure, um, Dale also sucked me into TAB Colorado a long time ago. She called me up and said, you're from out of state and we have other people from out of state. Would you be a cohort leader? And cohort leaders, Within, I think that's something actually unique to Tab, Colorado. I know it is, um, that we have, we have about eighty to hundred people come generally a year.
2: So um, we've been breaking a hundred. We've been in like the one twenty re- region uh, lately.
0: Last year, I was sick with COVID, so we didn't, didn't make it make <laughs> um, But these, uh, knowing that we have a big group, part of the goal is to create strong community and networks for people. Knowing that people go back to be islands or silos. Um, And so we have people in groups of six to eight people with a leader for conversation three different times throughout the two day conference. Um, And so that those conversations and those leaders, that's what my goal, my job was the first year Is I was like supposed to make sure that conversation happened and people were included and just make sure things kept going. And then I made the mistake of giving feedback at the end that it would be great if some of the cohort leaders had a little bit of guidance. Um, and that became my job, <laughs> uh, and so Dale and I worked as a team for a long time until she retired. And I, this is the first year that I have to do that whole job by myself. And I just sent out emails yesterday about it, being like, I'm so sad that I'm doing this by myself, but I need people to be cohort leaders for Tab Colorado. So if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to be a cohort leader for Tab Colorado, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Day weekend at the Denver Art Museum, you know, send us an email at storytellers at artisticbehavior.org. I'm not gonna say no. Um, and
1: I, I have also been a cohort leader at that conference as well. Jesse Ruby had asked me a few years back to do it and it was wonderful. Um, it wasn't a, a lot of work, but it was important work. And I was really excited to be a part of it. So highly recommended if people would like to get involved.
2: Yeah, the TAB conference really relies on the group as a whole to make this function. We Mm -hmm. have a large leadership team, 11, 12 of us. Uh, I'm not sure the numbers. I'd have to go back and look for sure. But they're all providing different viewpoints and addressing the needs of everybody. We're really responsive when it comes to feedback. We'll suck you in if you're looking for some changes Um, because we're always looking to grow and best provide the needs. For everybody involved. And uh, this year, we have two, yeah. <laughs> two amazing um, keynote speakers. Would you two like to introduce yourselves?
1: Sure. <laughs> so Abby and I are very excited to um, be actually the co-keynote speakers at this year's TAB Colorado Conference. Um, and I think the th- the theme of this conference is going to be uh, re-TAB, which is like a reset and a, a rebirth and all the different um, phrases and words that go along with that. But we connect re there- yes, re-energize. There's definitely um, a lot of change. I'm on the, the board of directors um, for Teaching for Artistic Behavior. And uh, there's a lot of change and new newness that we need to get into to really get the next step going um, for what we need to do as art educators and make this really as grand as it is as it really is in my mind so I am very excited to share um, my thoughts on that and I'm very happy to do it along with Abby because the two of us well, we we know how we work best as a team, but I am very happy to be doing it alongside her because as we mentioned before, community is so important and it's really great to have someone that you can work with to bounce your ideas off of. So
0: I think part of that is is when you redo something or you're renewing or um, coming back to or even starting off um, because you want to do something different than you're doing. Sometimes we don't always know what came before us. And so um, for people who are new to this podcast or are not familiar with me, I'm also doing my my doctorate. I'm getting my PhD um, in curriculum instruction, but my focus is actually the history of TAB. And so um, in this dual keynote, we're going to be looking at where TAB's been and come from and then where it's headed. And so kind of this full circle look at um, TAB as a whole. And so that's kind of um, why there's two of us going to be in this keynote um, and, and how that Vision is um, set up and so we uh, hope that you can join us um I don't know in the past we've streamed keynotes for people I don't know where we're at for tech this year, um, but that's one of those things that we try to um, at least make the keynotes speaker free to attend. Uh, if you don't make it or can't afford the rest of the uh, conference and you're in the Denver area so
2: and. Knock on wood that we don't have any technical glitches. We should be able to provide that digitally to everyone. I've kind of taken that on as one of my many roles in the years past, some years more successful than others, but I think we should be able to provide that to everybody, whether they can attend in person or not, but I highly recommend attending in person because it is a different kind of conference experience than you're probably used to.
0: Yeah, and those reg- that registration is going to open, and there's uh, we'll add the tab Colorado website to the show notes, so people can uh, find that. And I think they have a Facebook group too. So
2: yeah, and uh, registration and all of that good stuff should start opening up in November. Uh, we have a few more things to kind of put together and iron out here before we're ready to fully launch it. But we're super excited for this year and the direction that we're taking that theme of, you know, the world has changed and how do we reset, re-energize, all those re's just kept popping up in our planning meeting and we fell into this and I'm super excited to have you both to bring in the where did we come from and where are we going kind of aspect for TAB because there's been a lot of change in the 13 years that I've been doing TAB.
0: Yeah. I'm very
1: much looking forward
0: to it. I think it's gonna be great. <laughs> is there anything that you want to add that you wish we would have asked you or uh, that we forgot to mention from our first go round?
2: <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm super excited to be part of this uh, conversation. Um, one thing that I just try and instill in my own teaching is I never take myself too seriously. I'm okay to fail and try. We use what's called the rule number six at school. There are no other rules other than don't take yourself so serious. Um, I forgot who originally quoted that, but if you type in rule number six in Google, you'll you'll find not taking yourself too seriously. So, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and be responsive to your kids. Yeah, uh, Yeah.
1: I think the only thing that I wanted to mention before we end today is that, again, if you're looking for more resources or even the community to reach out to that might be more locally situated to you, um, if you go to teachingforartisticbehavior.org, you can navigate up to a little blue button in the top right corner that says join our community. And there it will lead you to Mighty Networks. And there you can find um, a whole bunch of not only educators and resources but you'll be able to reach out to people that are in your area if you want to connect with them um, so I highly recommend checking that out
0: and just for people listening there are some really strong communities in New Mexico and St. Louis and in Texas and um, up and down the east coast um, I think there's some stuff going on on the west coast I mean it's pretty there's things happening in regions that most people can get to uh, Michigan's got a big and Indiana got a kind of big co-collaboration thing going on with tab stock so there's just lots of things available um if you want to connect somewhere you don't have to come to colorado <laughs> Me too. and there's the tab institute that occurs in the summer so just um and i think that is becoming more and more virtual um, so you can access that from anywhere in the world so um If you are interested in being a part of the TABcast, if you would like to be a guest or have thoughts for us or questions, um, storytellers at teachingforartisticbehavior.org is our email address. Um, We are always looking for guests and uh, input. We are also working on adding the uh, transcripts to like the transcription of this TABcast to our show notes. fair warning, we don't edit it. So it is whatever Zoom produces at the end of this. So it is not going to be 100% accurate, but it is the best we can do with the two of us who are volunteering our time once a month to manage this. So um, if you feel so led to create better transcripts for us, we will 100% let you. <laughs> uh, but we also just uh, appreciate you guys being listeners out there and um, hope to see you next month. Um, hope we can find us on all of the major podcast systems, I think. So,
1: yes. And thank you, Kelly, so much for joining us for this one. We really enjoyed speaking with you today. Twice. Thank you
2: both, right? Twice.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: uh, I look forward to seeing you both here in January. And then Abby, I know we'll be seeing each other here shortly. Well, next month, I think. Yep. With the reading. So. Yep.
1: All right. Thank you all for joining us today. Have a great rest of your, uh, well, the beginning of your week, I guess, because we'll be posting this very
0: shortly. And you're continuing your school year in September. This is definitely school season. So good luck.
1: Bye, everyone.